This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Leadership in Action. Welcome back, everybody. This is Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by us, the Wharton School. <laughs> I'm Mike Hussein, and Greenhall, my friend and colleague, is here in the studio. Uh, uh, we are hosting tonight a really interesting discussion with several people. John Hennessy, former president of Stanford, just before the break. And now with two new guests, Jeffrey Dorfman, who is director of the Center for Special Dentistry, and Steve Kess, who is Vice President of Global Professional Relations, working with the Office of the Chair and CEO at Henry Schein. Uh, Listeners maybe don't fully appreciate that Henry Schein, uh, not so known to the public and as the world as it turns out, I work with him, the world's largest provider of business clinical technology and supply chain materials for office-based dentistry, but also well beyond that in medicine and animal health. So, Jeff and Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. You know, I think it would uh, be helpful if um, you could just briefly describe um, your kind of your current work locus. And then Ann and I are going to pick up where especially on what you're saying, especially interested in what's out there, but also what's changing in the field of dentistry. Um, there are a lot of forces that are pushing that. <laughs> Love to hear your observations about that. So, Jeff, beginning with you. Why don't you give us a sentence or two on the Center for Special Dentistry? The Center for Special Dentistry Mm. is a multi-specialty dental practice in Midtown Manhattan. Mm. Uh, Focus is uh, treating complex cases that uh, other dentists are not able to take care of, and people are seeking a different level of uh, dental care. And what might be an example of of a patient coming in with a special need of that kind? I had uh, two examples of that today. One was uh, an architect who is very afraid of dentistry, and uh, um, his his teeth are basically all gone and wow. uh, needs to be able to appear in public. And I had uh, another patient in today who uh, is an adult female who had a long history of bulimia and nervosa, and uh, has a complete porcelain reconstruction of her entire mouth and also needs uh, very significant medical medical care mm. as well. Jeff, I'm, I'm thinking they're rather <laughs> glad that you run the Center <laughs> for Absolutely. Special Dentistry. Uh, Steve, how about you, Henry Schein, and beyond? I think the uh, challenges that we face right now is that the consumer is driving health care, uh, especially for elective and uh, voluntary procedure that the public's um, consumerism, shopping, and comparing value uh, for service um, is growing, that the uh, healthcare professional needs to focus on providing quality care and is turning to Henry Schein to help them run a better business. Mm-hmm. Super. I mentioned uh, as we wrapped up the last hour that, among other things, we wanted to talk with you about some of the changes out there. You've touched on one just now, and that is the rise of, uh, can call it consumer power in that particular marketplace. What are a couple of the other, taking it now from the side of dentists and dental practices, what are a couple of the more innovative things out there that you have both uh, witnessed, seen, and maybe even been part of? Jeff, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Steve. Well, that's 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 a, that's a good question in terms of innovation in dentistry or changes in the profession in healthcare in general. You know, I think all of the above. So <laughs> all right. So uh, uh, well, there are a lot of technical technological changes, but I think that where the the major changes are that are going on in dentistry mm-hmm. and and healthcare in general, I think, is that there is a huge shift in healthcare with the Affordable Care Act. Hmm. And a, a lot of that, a lot of doctors, particularly doctors and dentists, particularly of the millennial generation who are just entering practice in the past five or ten years, um, are being 
very affected by those changes. Hmm. How so? I think that there has been a tremendous shift with the Affordable Care Act towards uh, uh, managed care, health care in general. There's been a tremendous shift towards consolidation in health care. And the independent practitioner who has local relationships with patients, that seems to be going the way of the dinosaur, hmm. unfortunately. Yep, that's really interesting. Well, I can't uh, not come back to that last word for <laughs> yeah. just a second. Uh, say why, unfortunately. You're asking me why, unfortunately? Yes, yeah, well, why, what, uh, yes please. I, I think that it's, hmm. a, uh, it's unfortunate if you actually need, if you actually have a significant medical or dental problem, that in a, a managed care environment in general, uh, doctors are not given the opportunity to have enough time with patients to treat the patients in the way they desire. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, a more recent article I've seen in Consumer Reports, uh, probably in the past year or so, and I've seen it elsewhere, that in the years preceding the Affordable Care Act, I have read that um, the amount of deaths in the United States related to hospital-related error, and that's only errors, not just deaths in hospitals, has averaged about 400,000 people a year. I think that, sadly, that number in hospitals, for example, is only going to increase. Hmm. Steve, quickly over to you. Um, Some of the changes that you see in the profession, how healthcare is delivered, um, innovative ideas that are coming along, what, what are you picking up on yourself? We're seeing a tremendous uh, realization that oral health is an integral part of primary care, that uh, the mouth is part of the rest of the body, <laughs> and that the uh, diseases within the oral cavity, whether they be caries or a periodontal disease, uh, have an effect uh, both in quality of life and health care costs for individuals with non-communicable diseases like diabetes cancer, cardiovascular problems, and that a number of major, I'll say, academic institutions are pushing for interprofessional um, care models, Um, the importance of uh, electronic patient health record being available to both the physician and the um, dentist who treat that person, that uh, we're seeing a tremendous movement to uh, cost effectiveness that's true that it uh, doesn't necessarily provide the resource to allow that more intimate and detailed patient experience that Jeff referenced. But truth be told, the cost to practice healthcare, both in integrating technology into a practice as well as the other expenses of running a practice, make it very difficult to uh, sustain private enterprise at the mm-hmm. small independent practice level and There are a growing number of partnerships, um, small groups, uh, the rise of dental service organizations, um, as well as the rise of clinic programs and third-party payment programs that reward the provision of comprehensive care, Hmm. including medical, dental, and even in some cases, mental health. Steve, let me come back to a couple of those in a few minutes. I've got a quick follow-up and then over to my colleague, Ann. On electronic records, again, Ann and I are both consumers of this world, but not part of it directly. But I've been surmising that in four or five years, we're going to get through this. It's been challenging and turbulent to go from written to electronic records. What's your own forecast as to when we'll go totally digital, and there will be no more paper left. Well, that's a, no more paper is a, a mantra for many organizations. Uh, lots of behavior um, of the existing providers will retard that process, mm-hmm. and I think it's an aging out, not uh, whether it will or won't happen. It'll, it's more of a matter of when. Yep. Um, the, the quality of um, electronic health records in dentistry, even with the fragmented practice environment 
um, is pretty high. There are very few dental practices that don't have an electronic health record system, charting, um, digital um, radiography transmission, and even the provision of uh, electronic health record information mm-hmm. to, uh, to physicians and others. The integration of them to have both proactive and receiving information is a, is a further distance out. Uh, I think that um, going paperless will be more accomplishable when younger, more uh, digitally oriented providers take the majority of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there's a reference, I myself am a dinosaur, <laughs> um, and uh, in a conversation I had with Jeff earlier, um, shared that I think the uh, technology world, when I'm involved with it, uh, is, there's a revolt and everything stops working. <laughs> but um, I think when my grandson does the same thing with the same technology for me, it works perfectly. So I think it's a, it's a, um, it's a wave. It's certainly here to stay. It's the wave of the future. It's essential. Um, I, I would predict that for those looking at 2030, um, the electronic health record will become the critical part of both a person's own knowledge and, and health record. They'll, they'll probably miniaturize or micro the health record so that a person can bring their health record with them to whomever they see for health care, as well as large systems that will uh, allow for the free flow of exchange between networks of providers. Hmm. I think it's about 12, 13 years out. Very good. Uh, Well, first, Jeff and Steve, it's a pleasure to have the chance to speak with you. And you've named a number of challenges, including technological changes, consumers driving health care, Uh, Jeff, in your case, um, my hunch is that the changes have also created some opportunities. Would you say that's been true in your case? I I think there are opportunities. I think the the ultimate um, decision of where the opportunities are, I think it's still out. I think, as Steve kind of said a few moments earlier, that we are still in a major transition right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we began, or in my practice, we began uh, digitizing in 1994, and uh, we were fully digital in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that we were early adopters uh, doesn't mean that a majority of people are, and I still that we have in our practice we have 16 uh, dentists and specialists in the practice and we have another 10 or so uh, physicians in our affiliated practice and it it fascinates me and appalls me I guess is a better description (laughs) that if you're going to see several of the other physicians in our affiliated group that you're filling out different medical forms for each and every one of them Mm. And I had a a particularly medically ill patient in the office today who arrived with her husband, and they they had a folder, I don't know, 50 or 100 pages of text. And and I I think that, you know, to, uh, in, in the near future, and I think, you know, 2020, 2030, or, you know, in the time frame Steve is talking about, that... Your, your entire medical life should be digitized. I'm not saying on the Internet where it could be hacked, right. but in much the same way as you're carrying a credit card in your wallet, you should be able to go to my dental office or my affiliated physicians or any doctor around the world and pull out a card that has all of your medical information that you can pop into a credit card reader and that has everything about you in one place at one time. You don't have to fill yeah. out more forms. You, you don't have to worry about what you're forgetting. Right. right. You're, you're in an ambulance, God forbid, in an, an accident, and you end up in the hospital. <clears throat> all you need is that one card. You don't have to say anything. It has all your medications, all your allergies. I mean, all of that stuff is going in that direction, but it's in, it's an incredibly fragmented industry not only between like dentistry and, and, and all the subspecialties of medicine, but even within the specialties, 
there are competing players in the field. Mm. Very good. You know, Mike. it's such a call for, for <laughs> right. digital everything, and, and obviously we have the same issue here at the university where students are taking courses in different schools, and sometimes they've been at different universities, but ultimately they are they are a person, and uh, they need to have that all consolidated. I'm going to remind listeners that this is Leadership in Action, business radio powered by the Wharton School. You're tuned to Channel 132 on Sirius XM. We've been speaking with Steve Kess, Vice President of Global Professional Relations at Henry Schein, the company, and Jeff Dorfman, Director of the Center for Special Dentistry with uh, Ann Greenhall. If you'd like to jump into the conversation, definitely give us a call, 844-942-7866. To move on a little bit, as you've described in several ways in the last few minutes, uh, what, uh, for lack of a better term, might be described as the consolidation of uh, dental services, bigger practices, fewer solo or small group practitioners. I think among the implications of that is that the way professional dentists manage one another and with one another is different. They're with many more dentists. Uh, They're not, in a sense, entirely their own person. So if uh, maybe beginning with Steve and then over to Jeff. Steve, if you could pick up on how dentists are likely to, or maybe put it, let me put it this way. If you're managing a a large dental practice, how is it going to be different in the way you lead those folks in that sizable practice compared to a small dental practice of yesteryear? What do you think? Well, I personally think that at the end of the day, the health professionals, number one concern and their number one passion is to provide quality care and excellent patient outcomes. The, the difference becomes the economic of structure that they're providing it in and the ability and the availability of technology to make that patient experience and the clinical result more effective, more efficient and delivered in a way where there's more awareness by the patient of some of the care and the rationale behind that care that they're getting. Technology lets the health provider and the health provider team um, provide a more enriching and, and I'll say, uh, interactive experience. Um, Digital radiography, scanning, uh, inter-oral cameras, all of the digital technology enhances the speed at which the information and the engagement of the patient. Uh, practicing in a, I'll say, a larger, more technology-driven practice, whether it's a small group, a partnership like Jeff is experiencing, the, the role of technology becomes the stabilizer and the, the, the operating procedure changes when you're using technology to both identify, record, and provide and prescribe care that the patient can see, understand, and, and quickly have um, delivered to them. And, and that, I think, is a, a liberating factor for hmm. the team. I keep using the word team because the dental profession, uh, some of the traditionalists want to do everything themselves with their own two hands, yet in a contemporary practice, the skills of the dentist are on the higher end of both surgical and or technical yep. deg- degrees of difficulty. And there are other staff members, whether they be hygienists or dental assistants or others within that practice, that let the dentist practice at the highest end of their training. And, a, and an effective team makes optimal all of the staff members, each of which might be operating at a different financial reimbursement level. Mm-hmm. And so I think management, efficiency, effectiveness is more present in some of the newer delivery models, whether they be privately owned or part of corporate dentistry. Yep. Jeff, you want to add a bit to that? Yeah, I, I would. I think that there's uh, the, uh, to, to Steve's point about imaging, in uh, when I mentioned that since '94 we were digitizing we began digitizing. Uh, I, I, I'm a strong comp- uh, proponent 
of uh, digitizing bef- uh, treatment. And uh, it does take a little bit more time in terms of when you're performing procedures to digitally record either radiographically or photographically before, during, and after treatment. But I believe it is an ideal way, and dentistry is particularly well-suited for that, but some other areas of medicine are also, where you can actually preserve quality of care and actually document it by your preservation of uh, digital imaging. So that's one thing that I think moving forward is worthwhile for all, um, and this is not only for dentists, but particularly in dentistry, but in, but in terms of taking the time to do that, in my practice, we're able to take the time to do that. My knowledge and experience with young dentists who are involved in higher volume practices, they're not going to typically be able to have the time or luxury to do so. Another area, when you're talking about larger practices, from the older practices where you might have one dentist in a um, or in a private practice is they tend to do all of their specialty work themselves. Mm-hmm. In the bigger practices, and there is a move towards consolidation, like the rest of healthcare, is that when patients are going in and they're needing procedures like root canal, they should be, you know, treated by a root canal specialist. And if they have periodontal issues, they should see a gum specialist. And uh, um, so the bigger practices are able to offer that, and there's a there's a uh, a bump in quality of care for patients. Also, the, another point that uh, one should consider, and this is not just in dentistry, because it's overall healthcare, is who is the ultimate owner of the medical or dental practices we're talking about in New York State for example, only a dentist can legally own a dental practice. Hmm. However, there are legal loopholes called uh, hard asset buyouts, where with a a wink and a nod, a corporate entity could actually technically buy a dental or medical practice by, quote-unquote, not buying the actual patient base, which really is the lifeblood of the business. Uh, But instead, they're going to say, well, I'm going to buy your physical space, and I'm not actually buying your practice. Um, And so I think that there needs to be a serious discussion moving forward, and this is not just dentistry, this is all of healthcare, is who is ultimately going to own a a medical or dental practice? Is it going to be a group of physicians and dentists who own these larger consolidated practices? Or is it going to be a private equity fund on <laughs> Madison Avenue who is only, you know, looking at quarterly numbers? Mm. Such a great question, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Uh, let, me, let me chime in and ask you, um, you've, both of you have spoken so well about the impact of technology in teams of and teams of uh, dentists working in a practice. Let me just take a little different point of view. How about on the interpersonal side? So, Jeff, if you could speak with that. You're working with a, you know, you've got a large organization under you. How, how do you find that you were prepared to do that as a student in dental school and now as a practicing dentist and entrepreneur? What have you found has been most important for you? I love that question. Uh, it's it's very different between what one learns in school and what one um, actually finds in practice. And I like to describe, I, I have 20 years professorships between Columbia and NYU, even though, um, as you know, an alum <laughs> of Penn for eight years. Right. <laughs> and uh, um, But it, it is... Practice is just reading dental school itself or medical school is just learning um, what's what's in textbooks. And one of my mentors uh, who passed away a year and a half ago, Lenny Linkow, taught me that you're really not going to learn medicine and dentistry until you're practicing at least about seven years 
and your mistakes come back, you know, mm. to haunt you. <laughs> and and that's when you really begin to learn. Um, and that's why we're in in private practice because we're still practicing. And after my 33 years in practice, I'm still practicing to try to get you know better and better at it. Yeah. But it's it's what you don't really learn in school is how relationship driven and how intimate on an interpersonal relationship healthcare is. Mm. And if you're an emotional person and you care about humanity and you want to help, then you need to be able to spend time with human beings. And um, and, and there seems to be, you know, a, a dramatic shift in terms of cost containment and mass market and and um, there's go- there has to be a, a major fallout from what the, the, the well-intentioned um, Affordable Care Act, and I'm not anti, I'm just saying that there are significant benefits and it's well-intentioned, the political movement, but there's also a tremendous negative fallout from it in, in the various medical and dental professions because the relationships that I grew up with and still are able to maintain in my dinosaur practice, I'm seeing in my younger practitioners, who my former students who come to visit me, that's largely absent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve and Jeff, I'm going to yeah. break in for a second. Let, let's hold those thoughts. Yeah, I've got a very good. couple follow-up <laughs> questions on them. Uh, I do need to remind everybody that they've been listening to the Wharton School's Sirius XM Channel 132, Leadership in Action. We're going to take a very brief break. Uh, Stay with us. Come back. We are in conversation with Steve Kess and Jeff Dorfman about changes in the dental industry, how they see them, what they're doing about them. Don't go away. We've got a lot to talk about. Channel 132. Hang in there. Hey, I'm not certain we want that treated, but in any case, welcome back. Leadership in Action, that is us, Sirius XM's business radio powered by us, the Wharton School. I'm your host. I'm with Ann Greenhall. We both work with the McNulty Leadership Program at the Wharton School. And we've been in active dialogue with Steve Kess, Vice President of Global Professional Relations at Henry Schein, the company, and Jeff Dorfman, Director of the Center for Special Dentistry. Anne, why don't you pick it up? We've had a great dialogue. We're going to keep it going. Well, uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the importance of interpersonal skills in dentistry. So I might pick up that thread a little bit. Uh, Jeff, as Mike just said, you're the director of the Center for Special Dentistry. And Steve, you are an executive. So both of you have played managerial and leadership roles. And I'm wondering if you might comment on any insights you would have on managing and leading a practice of dentists as opposed to working in a a more corporate setting? I'll take a crack at it. I could immediately exclude myself. Uh, We aren't involved in the delivery of health care. We're involved in helping health happen. And um, in my role as the vice president of global professional relations, I am involved with a number of public-private partnerships that um, we use as a way to engage the clinical community with members from industry, um, the non-government organization world, um, Team Shine members, in support of programs to improve health care outcomes for at-risk populations worldwide. And so I get a chance to work with health professionals um, and other executives around, I would say, uh, population oral health issues. And um, I find that uh, there is a appreciation amongst health professionals when they see the value of the care that they make available to people philanthropically. That helps re- refresh their, their commitment to their profession and gives them a personal sense of both satisfaction and seeing the fruits of their labor change another person's life. Mm. Um, I'm using a program that I helped create with uh, Dr. Jeff Dalen of St. Louis. It's called uh, Give Kids a Smile. It's uh, celebrated each year 
it's now year round, but it started as the first Friday of February, and over 50,000 volunteers in 1,800 locations provide complimentary screening, education, prevention, wellness, and follow-up care for now 7 million underserved children in the United States. It's going on since 2002. Um, to see the value and the role and the pride that health professionals have in providing care and seeing the outcomes that they produce, it's transformational. And that goes on in a myriad of programs around, around the world. I think that when people see need, if you're a health professional and you see need and you can do something about it, it becomes common ground for the entire team. I also have seen politically people disagree on the most micro issue because from their professional and their personal perspective, they're very committed to their view and their opinion. So I, I would say that interprofessional, intercultural, interagency, um, it varies by issue and it varies by uh, the focus of the group. Uh, from a management point of view, you really want to come back to uh, the original objective of a program, uh, whether it be running an efficient, mm -hmm. effective business, and if the business is the delivery of health care, uh, then you need to, as a leader, stay on point and on purpose so that the team sees what they've signed up for, their role in the overall um, project and the initiative, mm -hmm. and then uh, continue to reinforce it. Very good. And I want to make sure our listeners know that you just heard mm -hmm. from Steve Kess, who is Vice President of Global Professional Relations, Office of the Chairman and CEO at Henry Schein. So you, in both, uh, in I really appreciate your response to that, uh, Steve, because you spoke both about working externally and then internally. And in both responses, there's a real sense of mission and strategy in order to get things done. Would that be a fair fair summary? Yes. Very good. All right, Jeff, how about you? How do you go about how do you leading and managing Dennis? <laughs> well, I, I think uh, in leading and managing, uh, one program that I got involved with this year, which I believe was Steve's brainchild from a prior discussion, was um, in, in, in terms of leading and managing is there uh, we I learned uh, that there is a significant unmet need of the 30,000 Holocaust survivors in the United States. And they, many of them tend to live below the poverty line. And my understanding is Steve had learned about that years ago and created a program that I'm now a participant in that uh, um, you can take these absolutely wonderful people and uh, and help them in dentistry in ways that they could never afford. Mm. And um, and I, I'll tell you that I've donated a lot of my own time, and uh, I can't tell you just the value it's brought to my own life in mm -hmm. being able to do this for people mm. that you can read about in history books, yeah. and yet you can still be affected by taking care of them in 2018 for those who's you know are still around and it's a I had one of those uh a holocaust survivor in my practice today mm -hmm. um through uh Steve's initiative and it's wonderful it 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 really is a wonderful experience and it, it's kudos for that mm, that's great wonderful mike uh Steve and Jeff picking up on some of the threads of the commentary we've been involved in if you're working with a dentist who's decided to step forward a little bit like our prior guest on the show who began in computer science, steps forward to become a college president, a university president, what advice would you have for them on the premise <clears throat> that they've had to think a lot about the technical side of um, modern dentistry, but not a whole lot, and certainly in dental school and maybe the early years of practice, about how you knit together a number of people, the, the hygienists, the technicians, uh, the billing office, and then, of course, the many 
dentists that may be in a practice. So that's a long-winded way of saying, what guidance would you have for managing a number of dentists in a dental practice of some size? In terms of managing it, it's it's people. A lot of it is people skills, mm-hmm. and it's and. I'm sure everyone listening is uh, recognizes those people who have people skills and those people who do not. And I think the overriding driving common denominator is having people skills is trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I do believe that there is a difference between being a doctor or a dentist and many of the other participants on your show who are running businesses. Because whereas dentistry and medicine, uh, medical practices and hospitals are in fact businesses, there needs to be a higher calling than just the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and I I can chime in here, Jeff, just for a second to say, uh, as you're talking, I'm very attached to my dentist. <laughs> He's a pen pen dentist, and uh, I would follow him from practice to practice uh, because not only of his technical skills, but his uh, you know his ability to work with patients. And Steve, as we go over to you, you, uh, you see it from a, a somewhat different angle, and in thinking, I do. and thinking about the people at Henry Schein now who meet with. Uh, practices, what advice would you have for them as they work with dentistry and the way it's evolved in recent years? I think it it goes back to a couple of um, some basics. Um, You need to kind of seek to understand the situation before you're in a position to suggest a solution for them. Um, Listening and understanding is, is critical. You might have vast knowledge, but unless you understand the issues for that individual practice, uh, we are very consultative in our approach to servicing the needs of our customers. We're very fortunate to have over a million customers worldwide, uh, which is uh, fairly large. We have uh, 22,000 members to our team um, in 32 countries around the world. So we, we're looking at it from both a macro perspective and, of course, ultimately a micro perspective mm-hmm. because it becomes very one-on-one when a field sales consultant is talking to a particular practice owner um, about their business and about the clinical services that they're making available or would like to make available to their patient population. Um, I think the role of a leader or the development of a leadership plan or an operating manual and guidelines, um, an organizational chart, there are some basic, the business of healthcare unfortunately isn't taught to health professionals during their professional education. It normally comes in electives afterwards or specialty training or even um, hiring consultants or going to courses post-graduation, as uh, Jeff pointed out, five, seven years into practice. It takes time to understand the business of the skill set and the health profession that you're involved in. And I think the the leadership skills for anyone taking on the development of uh, programs for health professional leadership need to think about the the important skill sets the individual has beyond the people skills. But the issue of knowledge because of technology was a 20th century phenomena that in order to be the leader, you had to be the most knowledgeable Yet in some studies that came out of Harvard and Stanford Innovation Labs, they came away with a conclusion that the three most important traits for a leader in the 21st century is creativity, communication, and collaboration with knowledge at number five and resiliency at number four. And when you think about creativity, collaboration, and communication, you begin to realize that the leader today is a leader from the bottom up, not from the top down. (laughs) And it's something to think about as uh, different sectors and ages of health professionals and leaders of healthcare 
come into the market. Great points, gentlemen. Let me again remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action. I'm Mike Yusim. I'm here with Ann Greenholm, and we are talking with you, Steve Kess, Vice President of Global Professional Relations at Henry Schein, and Jeff Dorfman, Director of the Center for Special Dentistry. Uh, if you've got a question or not much time left, but give us a call, 844-942-7866. Gentlemen, just to pick up on that, uh, those final really interesting points, let's pick up on two words in particular, collaboration and communication. If, that's, if those are not necessarily developed or even explicitly referenced during the years of dental school and maybe that uh, post-period uh, as well, how do those in dental practice learn to collaborate? How do they become better at communicating? Uh, Jeff, why don't we start with you? I'm, I'm happy to answer that question about collabor- uh, collaboration and communication. I think in the new era of, uh, and I'm not confining this merely to dentistry because you have a lot of your listeners who are well have an interest well beyond dentistry, and I would references to all of healthcare is I think there needs to be at the academic level a new dual degree programs, which in dentistry could be DMD or DDS, depending upon the individual dental school, and MBA programs. And uh, I think that our schools, including my alma mater, University of Pennsylvania, um, you know, could lead in offering uh, uh, DMD MBA programs, MD MBA programs, PhD MBA programs, all with the leadership program at Wharton, and creating the next generation of doctor leaders who would excel in collaboration and communication. I think that the the change that uh, ACA created in American healthcare of this decade, I, I don't think anybody has the ability to predict what it's going to do in the next decade or next generation. So I think it would be incumbent upon the finest schools in the land to put together a set of questions and circumstances before the brightest minds of doctors in this country and give them the leadership mm-hmm. skills to actually f- help figure out how we're going to get to the next level. Steve? I, I think the combination of business acumen and clinical acumen for leaders of healthcare in the future is essential. Um, there is a category of health professional called the chief medical officer or the chief dental officer of entities, whether they be private sector employers, third-party payers, um, and a whole host of uh, community and federally funded program directors. The skill sets for that individual is not only clinical excellence, but organizational management excellence, um, financial acumen, um, the ability to understand economic charting and, and, and measurable outcome predictions. And I believe that Jeff has his finger on the pulse. I think academia can play a tremendous role in creating educational foundations for leaders of professional services for the future. Um, I agree that predicting it will be difficult, but I would put some wager of my own on the growing importance of prevention, wellness, self-health, and the transformation of digital data that can be understood by our population about their health status. Um, When you wear some of the Fitbits or other Apple or health watches, the miniaturization of, of digital technology, there are systems now that can take blood pressure, heartbeat, Um, and really put it on your watch. And I think you're going to see self-health. Boy, that's great. Prevention and wellness play a very, very important role in keeping the public more conscious, more aware, 
and able to help regulate their own health status in the future. Mm. Of course, as a teacher, I really appreciate thinking about um, the future of education and dentistry. So if I just take a moment to think about the student, can you give me, and maybe, maybe Jeff, you're a good one to answer this, can you give me a sense of maybe the demographic, the kind of student who is applying to dental school these days, and, and a little bit about the financial cost of that education? That's a, another great question. I, I, I think you will see a profound shift in the applicant to medical and dental schools in this generation. I think that if you spoke to 50- or 60-year-old physicians and dentists in the past 30 years, many of them would say that their sons or daughters are following them into medicine and dentistry. I, I, I don't see that you're going to find that occurring in the future. Um, I think that a lot of physicians and dentists have children who are not following their parents into the profession because there have been profound changes um, with the Affordable Care Act and um, the unknown quality of what health care will be in the next decade or decades to come is making a lot of potentially wonderful potential doctors looking at other professions. I think it's a real concern. Hmm. And from um, a financial, I'm sorry, Steve, did you want to chime in? I would, if you don't mind. Please, please. Um, the number of applicants for dental school is constant in between 12,000 and 13,500 applicants for about 6,300 physicians, which is growing annually over the last decade. Hmm. Um, it was as low as 4,300 graduating physicians per year, uh, but it's up to um, over 6,000 now. The, uh, the GPA, uh, the grade point average of the applicants, is the highest it's ever been. Hmm. Um, in retrospect, <clears throat> it's safe to say that more than half the profession who are practicing today if they apply to dental school today, would not get in. <laughs> um, and that's really important to think about. The profession has elevated healthcare in general. Physicians um, have historically always outscored uh, from a GPA and a MCAT or a, DTA, a DAT score. Um, the uh, was always number one, but the gap is almost neck and neck right now. So the people applying to dental school today I agree with Jeff's assessment. It's not second, third generation, but it's the new, um, the new immigrant population. Dentistry has been uh, a first generational health professional entry because a person can go to school, be supported by their family or student aid, come out and over a period of time own their own practice, be successful, respected, and live a, a wonderful quality of life, doing wonderful things for the patients that they serve. And so you see in the schools today a tremendous rise in the number of uh, Asian dental students, both men and women. Women are now about 50% of the class, up from about 17% of the class 15 years ago. And so you're seeing people pursuing careers in dentistry as well as dental research and dental academia, <coughs> more now than ever before. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a wonderful trend for the future. Yet the profession, when you graduate, the life experience of a professional dentist will be different 10 years from now <coughs> than it was 10 years ago. Jeff's point is a hmm. very valid one, that that solo practice, um, self-contained, uh, vital leadership and, and patient relationship is changing. But the student is, is faced with, I'm guessing, sixty to $80,000 worth of annual debt. Mm. So they graduate with $300,000 of debt. If they go for specialty training, they could grow to four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars of debt. 
the, the, yeah, part, when they, the, the most that I've, I've ever heard an applicant come to my office in debt was about $720,000. Wow. <clears throat> wow. That took our breath away. Yes. That's a number. That's after <laughs> uh, Cornell, Penn, and Columbia, including the specialty program, was $720,000. Hmm. And that was Anne's wow. earlier question about indebtedness. Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen, we're almost out of time. I've got about 60 seconds here. Uh, Steve, beginning with you, just a final word for the wise. People who are coming into the profession, given what you've said about how you manage, how you lead, all the changes, what would you give them by way of wisdom? I would say from a wisdom point of view, when you inspect what you expect, it gets done. Oh, that's Good great. Way to put. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Jeff, how about you? The uh, I I think to seek to focus on excellence and uh, to rise above um, ordinary expe- expectation. Mm. I I love dentistry. I'm 59 years old. I've been practicing 33 years. I love it. I love the people I work with. I love my patients. I love the work. And I think that if one can focus on offering a higher level of care and focus on relationships, it's even with the changes right now, it's an incredibly wonderful and rewarding profession. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Jeff, just a final word or a question really about how somebody listening can find out more about what you do. Is there a website or a place they should go? Yeah, they can find me at nycdentist.com. That's NYC for New York City, nycdentist.com. It's a 4,000-page website, which, unfortunately, okay. I, I wrote every word. Okay. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> we understand that. Steve, how about you? I would say that uh, there's lots of information on henryshinecares.com or henryshine.com. Yep. Um, we have a, an enormous commitment to social responsibility that you'll find um insights into programs that Jeff uh, referenced, the Alpha Omega Henry Shine Cares Holocaust Survivors Program, um, Give Kids a Smile with the American Dental Association Foundation, and Team Shine members engaged in outreach um, following Ben Franklin's philosophy of enlightened self-interest. So henryshine.com, there's a wealth of information for consumers, for business people, and of course as a public company, uh, we issue annual and quarterly reports. Um, we've been fortunate to be um, one of the 59 Fortune 500 companies who are changing the world. We debuted at number 29. We're very proud of that. And uh, we're an ethical corporation for 15 years. And uh, we we do well in business by doing good things for society. Great. Steve and Jeff, wonderful. wonderful. Good good note to end on from both of you. I want to remind people this is Business Radio Sirius uh, XM, Channel 132. A special thanks to uh, Jeff and Steve, of course, and I'd also like to thank our producer. Tonight it's Matt Datz, our sound engineer. You're hearing his work right now, Jeff Simmons. <laughs> I'm Mike Usain. You've been listening to Leadership in Action in the company of Ann Greenhall on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Sirius XM, Channel 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 